So this is the last in the series. Have you enjoyed the foundation series that we've been doing? Very important, isn't it? And this is the last message in that series. And I'm going to be speaking to you on the subject water baptism. And some of you might think, been there, done that. Okay, bought the t-shirt, sold it again. But um, I'm trusting God that he's going to minister to us at a very deep level. Certain truths, certain mysteries that will help us in our walk with the Lord. Amen. One of the things that people aren't aware of concerning baptism is um, if you go to a Hindu person, if you go to a Hindu person, right, or someone who used to be Hindu and is now a born-again Christian and has been baptized, I had an experience where they, they said to me, as long as I was born again, I was, still, I was still allowed to get married in a Hindu temple. But the moment we got baptized, they said, you can't get married in a Hindu temple. Now, you know, the Hindu people are very open because they've got so many gods. And they're like, oh, okay, just add Jesus there. I'm sure we're flexible about that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, but the moment you get baptized, how many of you know that baptism is recognized in the spirit realm? All right? There are physical acts that have an impact in the realm of the spirit. they are physical acts that have an impact in the realm of the spirit. Powers and principalities recognize it when someone is baptized. You see, it's one thing to be born again. But when we obey the Lord Jesus' command that, you know what? I'm now born again. Let me be baptized in water. There, there are spiritual implications to that. It's not just a symbolic thing. Is everyone following? All right? It's not just a symbolic thing. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? What did he say to John the Baptist? John the Baptist comes along and says, Let me, and says I'm not even worthy to tie the laces of your, of your sandals. And Jesus says, you need to baptize me in order to fulfill all righteousness. Do you remember that? And after Jesus was baptized, there was a voice from heaven, which was Father God, and he says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Now, we didn't hear that voice from heaven before Jesus was baptized. Amen? Something happens in the heavenlies when we obey this particular scripture, go and be baptized. Is everyone following and I want to say this because it's one of those things people have become so flexible about in our walk with the Lord. Yet this is one of the basic foundational doctrine, foundational teaching we see in Scripture. So there are a number of groups I'm going to be speaking to this morning. The first group I'm going to be speaking to is if you are unsaved, but you're willing to listen. So right now you're not yet born again. You have not yet given your heart to the Lord Jesus but you're open to that because this message is very relevant because you will then say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. And then after that, we'll tell you the date that we've set. Okay, I'm going to ask those of you who need to be baptized to come afterwards and you'll literally write down your name here, your contact details. And Pastor Tuffy, who's traveling at the moment, uh, will contact you and then you can be baptized. Amen. All right. So that's the one group. The other group is if you are saved and baptized, but didn't understand what it meant. I'm not saying in this particular case you get baptized again, but basically you understand the significance of what you did. 
And I think that might be many people here in this room. And then the third group is if you're saved, but you've never been baptized, then you need to be baptized. Okay? You got born again, but you're never baptized. And then there's a fourth group I want to address. And this is if you were saved, you're saved, but then you got sprinkled when you were a baby, but never baptized as a believer. You know what I'm talking about, right? Come on, many of us grew up in traditional churches where there are many born-again people. I'm not, sla- I'm not uh, saying anything horrible, but we did something that wasn't really a scriptural practice, right? How many of you are from that background, like I am, right? We grew up... And as little babies, we were sprinkled. Right? We were sprinkled. And some of you, that's when you started using your so-called Christian names. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> I, grew up, I, when I, I grew up as Tindai. I grew up being called Tindai. That was, that's my name. I'm also Tindai. Just like Tindai Manumwa, uh, Q's Tindai. Uh, Tendai Goera, there are quite a number. It would be confusing in this church. Imagine I was also called Tendai. <laughs> Pastor T, Pastor T, I think would have a remix of it, okay? <laughs> but my first name, my official first name is Paul. I started using that when I went to boarding school, all right? So some people still call me Tendai back home or back, back in the hood. This is now home, okay? So we're going to talk about this because it's got great significance. So if you were sprinkled as a baby, you've actually got the opportunity to say, you know what, I want to actually be baptized full immersion as an adult who believes in Jesus. Amen. Okay. It's important that we go by the word of God and not by traditions of men. It's important that we go by the word of God and not by traditions of men. And sometimes we get emotionally attached to these traditions. And remember, Jesus addressed this issue. And he says, you guys, you are more passionate Right? More attached to your traditions. Right? And you lay aside in the process the word of God. And we want to live by the word of God. In Acts chapter 19 verse 1. Acts chapter 19 verse 1. It says, It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Can you see that this is what we are doing? We're saying, yes, you are a disciple. Yes, you are born again. But there are certain things we want to check. And I mean, if you know that, everyone has to check in their bags. When you go onto a plane, even the pilot, even the captain, you check in your bags, don't you? Even if you've got diplomatic immunity, yes, you go through the fast cues, but you still check in your bags. And that's important in the discipleship process. And we see here that Paul says, did you guys receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And, he said, and they said to him, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So, I mean, this was a real compliment, wasn't it? The fact that he was even calling them disciples, you know, says that he found some disciples. But these are guys who hadn't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And some of you are listening to me right now and you're thinking like, yeah, who, what's the Holy Spirit? It, uh, right? No, we have not even heard whether there's a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus So in other words, they didn't have the baptism of Jesus. They had the baptism of John, 
So, it, so was their baptism complete? It wasn't, was it? And so what he does is he corrects the situation. And he corrects it this way. It says, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They didn't say, oh, uh, yeah, but, you know, we sort of were semi-baptized with John, so that's cool. We'll just do a head mental ascent thing, you know, head knowledge about Jesus. They were baptized again this time, but in the name of Jesus. Is everyone following? All right. So I find this interesting. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. They were all, they were in all about 12 men. So if we weren't baptized properly, there's an opportunity to get baptized properly according to the word. Are we in agreement? So what's the meaning of the word baptize? What is the meaning of the word baptize? You know, we've cheated a lot of people. We've cheated a lot of people because we haven't explained the full gospel to them. And how many of you know that your life becomes a summation of what you were taught? If you see a group of Christians today in a particular corner, and they don't care about family life, and they don't have integrity when it comes to business, very often people are a product of what they've been taught, isn't it? And that's why we try to make sure you get a balanced diet. And we're so particular about these things when it comes to our kids. We want to make sure our children have a balanced diet. But very often in church settings, we just go one route. Prosperity, prosperity, prosperity. Deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. Pastor, what are you preaching about this week? Deliverance, deliverance, deliverance. And then we have people struggling with spiritual kwashioka. You all know kwashioka, right? You know those, those pictures of those kwashioka babies? Malnutrition, Right? We have that, but the spiritual version in churches today. So, what is to baptize? What does it actually mean? The word baptize in English is actually a transliteration from the Greek word. And the Greek word is baptizo, baptizo, right? And we've transliterated that into English and we've said baptize. But in the Greek, that word baptizo actually means to immerse to dunk, and usually the connotation was to dunk something down under, burying it, and then lifting it out again. So it's a temporary dunking. Is everyone following? Okay. So for example, if I was speaking Greek, and I'm having coffee with you, and we're having our coffee with, what do we usually have coffees with? Where I come from, we talk about check left, check left, the thing that goes in the left hand. <laughs> I remember at Vasti, this one guy coming to me and, you know, I had this nice coffee type machine and so on. I made him some nice coffee and so on. And then he says, check left, check left. Okay, so it's the thing that goes in the left hand. So let's say we're having coffee and we're not just drinking green tea or something like that, but it's hardcore coffee. It's quite milky. What do, we, what do you like to dip into it? Rusks. Okay. If we're speaking Greek, we could typically just say, can I please baptize my rusk into your coffee. We would say that. So it, wa it wasn't a religious word. Is everyone following? It wasn't a religious word. It's just a word of, you know, can I please immerse? Now, if we hadn't transliterated that word into English, if we had just kept it as a, the translated version, there'll be no confusion. People wouldn't be doing sprinkling babies and so on, right? Because we'll just be saying, oh, is your child been immersed? 
And then if we see someone sprinkling a baby, we'll say, but that's not immersing, that's just sprinkling. Is everyone following? So I wish someone had gotten, gotten it right. It's not like there's a shortage of water. All right? So here we have um, this interesting word. So it means to dip, to overwhelm, to plunge, or to submerge. And the connotations are very powerful, by the way. Right? So when you are being baptized into Christ, you are basically being immersed into him. Isn't that powerful? You're not half in Jesus, half in the world. So when you truly understand baptism, you understand the significance of it in that I am completely being, I'm being completely buried into Christ and dying with him. And because I've died with him, I can now be raised with him. Isn't that powerful? We're talking last night with my wife. You cannot have a resurrection without a death. So when we talk about baptism, we can't separate the conversation about baptism with a separation, uh, with a conversation about death. Can't separate the two, death and burial. Okay? So we are commanded by Christ to baptize believers. Okay? So if this word was not transliterated, but if it was translated, then we would be saying this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, immersing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And you know what's powerful about that? Is you then be going around and you can see a whole lot of believers who've been truly immersed physically in water, but spiritually into Christ. Imagine that. When I look at the lifestyle of a lot of believers, often it's just like the world. And so I'm saying this person hasn't been fully immersed into Christ. Amen? Everyone following. So why is the believer to be baptized? Why is the believer to be baptized? A, because Jesus commanded that believers be baptized. And therefore, it's actually a matter of obedience. Basic obedience if you're a Christian. All right? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Simple. Finish. Matthew 28, verse 19. B, because the apostles commanded converts to be baptized. In Acts 2, verse 38, it says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Every one of you. So no exceptions if you believe, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2.38. C, because baptism is part of the believer's foundation. Therefore, we see this in Hebrews 6.1-3. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of. So what are the foundations? Repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of the doctrine of baptisms. Why is it plural? Why is it saying the doctrine of baptisms? Because there's a baptism that happens spiritually, where we say this person is now in Christ Jesus. There's a baptism in water, and then Jesus then talks about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, which is when hands are laid upon you, right? And Jesus supernaturally baptizes you into the Holy Spirit. We preached on that, didn't we? Okay? And usually with the evidence of speaking in tongues and, you, and operating in the power of God. So there's the doctrine of baptisms. Okay? That's part of our foundation. There's the doctrine of laying on of hands. 
The basic way you pray for people when it comes to healing the sick is through the laying on of hands. Okay? So that's what we preach as doctrine. So if someone has a sense of, you know what, the Lord said, go and touch that microphone over, over here, and as you touch it, you'll be healed. We don't become the church of the microphone touching healings. You get what I'm saying, right? Just because God told you to do that as a once-off doesn't mean it becomes a doctrine. And one of the weaknesses in the church at the moment is there's a lot of stuff where people will copy. Oh, this one does this. Oh, this one throws jackets on people and they get healed. Therefore, in my ministry, I want to start doing that. And that becomes standard practice. It's not standard practice. Is everyone following? Okay. For something to become doctrine, okay, in the church, it needs to be something that Jesus himself taught. It also needs to be something that is demonstrated and practiced in the book of Acts. And it needs to be something that is explained and expounded upon in the epistles, right? Then we can say this is Bible doctrine. But you can't just take an obscure scripture or something that's extra biblical, in other words, not clearly stated in scripture, and say the Lord led me to do it and now we've got the church of the whatever you want to call it. Now, do you remember that Jesus once prayed for someone and, or healed someone, and the way he did it was he spat and he created some mud, and then he put the mud into the person's eyes? Does that mean that's the standard practice for healing today? How would you feel? Would you like that? If I say, I'm being led of the Lord, let me go and get some... Take it, my sister. Take it, my sister. Take it, my sister. Why am I saying my sister and not my brother? <laughs> I think it's because with a lot of these doom churches and things like that, it's often sisters, who are there, to be honest with you. <laughs> anyway, but the point I'm making is Jesus did that, so it's not unbiblical, but he said believers will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. So that's the standard practice, unless God leads you otherwise. All right? So it's the same with baptism. Baptism is one of those things uh, that's a foundation, and it's a foundational doctrine. There's the foundation of the resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment, right? And that's Hebrews 6, 1 to 3. How strong are we on these foundations? You know that if, if you have a building, especially your double stories and so on, and the foundation is bad, what's going to happen? Especially here in Centurion, because of all the dolomite, where you need those raft foundations and so on. Foundations are important, aren't they? And we had a whole message that my wife taught on the importance of foundations. So we can't say to ourselves, oh, I'm now the super duper powerful Christian. But then we've got gaps when it comes to the foundations. And one of them is to do with baptism. D, another reason why the believer is to be baptized is because Jesus was baptized as a model for us to follow. And you see that in Matthew chapter 3, right? Verses 13 to 17. And I'm not going to go into this, but I just want to highlight that something happens in the heavenlies, just like with Jesus, when people get baptized. Something happens in the heavenlies. There's a church in the States at the moment with amazing testimonies. I don't know if you guys have heard where as people are getting baptized, people are being healed of cancer. Right now as we speak, I've got a clip. I'm not going to show it to you today. I'm going to show it at Ignite. You don't want to miss Ignite. I'm going to show it at Ignite. It's, um, it's about 14 minutes, and you, and you hear the testimonies. People are repenting as they, as they go there. A guy who's over 70, as he touches the, the baptismal waters, he starts to confess saying, 
I've, I've struggled with porn. I, I, even today, I was looking at dirty pictures. There's that holiness, that conviction that's coming to people as they're getting baptized. So baptism is not a joke. And I'm sure you've heard many stories of people literally experiencing deliverance when they get baptized. Because you see, what happens is when you're being submerged in that water, you're, not, you're saying, I'm not just following Jesus privately. I'm actually making a declaration where I'm saying in front of anyone who walks by, in front of all these powers and principalities, I've died. I am in Christ Jesus. Okay? I remember when we were at varsity, a lot of the baptisms used to happen in the public pool on a particular Sunday. So you could have your old friends, you know, happened to my wife when she was baptized in those, in, by the pool there. And she's a strong swimmer, so it was probably a pool she used to swim in quite a bit. In fact, I know she used to swim there quite a bit because she used to, um, yeah, later on anyway, when we got hooked up, she would sometimes visit me um, after swimming. But anyway, the point is, um, that was the same pool she got baptized in. Is everyone following? Right? And you could have your mates walking past. And it can look foolish. It can be like, what's going on here? What do you guys do? This is archaic. So those of you who are very interested in not cramping your style, you know, like some of you, yeah? Oh, my hair. You know what I'm talking about, right? When you, when you get baptized, you're making a statement in front of the world, in front of um, powers and principalities. And God honors that. And it's amazing what ends up happening. Amen. E, the believer is supposed to be baptized because Jesus closely connected baptism with the experience of salvation. Jesus closely connected baptism with the experience of salvation. In Mark 16, verse 16, he said, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So are we saying that if you don't get baptized in water, it means you're unsaved and you're not going to heaven. That's not what we're saying. But we're saying that the two are very closely linked. Amen? It's like, it's like when you get married, it's like saying, uh, you know, when you get married, what's one of the things you do in the covenant of marriage? You exchange vows, don't you? You don't just think it. Right? What else do you do? You get a ring, right? How many of you are married in this room? How many of you are not currently wearing your ring right now? Don't have to raise your hand. We don't want to embarrass you. Okay? Are you following me? Right? There are certain things that are symbolic of the decision that we have made. I know some people who are, who are wanting to check out of their marriages. You know, you start seeing the rings coming off. We were talking yesterday at um, the couple's breakfast. And often when people have got other maneuver, maneuvers they want to do, we see rings coming off. I know of a case where a guy actually lied about it. He lied even to me, a guy who in, we found out much later he had been cheating on his wife, having multiple affairs. But some months prior to that, we were like, where's your ring? And he had this whole story about how his ring fell down the sink, I think it was, and so on. But he was obviously up to other stuff. So what are the prerequisites of baptism? Who can get baptized? 
The first prerequisite is repentance. Repentance is basically where you make a U-turn, where you say, I was living like this, I'm now living like this. Okay? The Bible word for it in the Greek is metania or metanoia, right? And it's a change of mind, I'm a change of outlook, a change of attitude. I'm changing how I see this thing. I used to sleep around, right? That's what the person will be saying. I used to sleep around, I used to fornicate, but true repentance isn't that, isn't just, oh, I'm feeling sorry about it now because we've now got a baby. No, true repentance is I'm changing how I view my behavior concerning this, and I now have the biblical view concerning it, right? And it's outworked behaviorally. Amen. That's what repentance is. And we see this in Acts 2, verse 38. It says, Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. So baptism always comes after repentance. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this means you don't get baptized just because you want to be part of a church. You know, with a lot of churches, that's one of the prerequisites for membership, right? Right? They say, oh, do you want to be a member of this church? Okay, have you been baptized? And some people just focus on the act of baptism instead of the repentance. Okay? And let me just say something else. If you are now a member of a church and we say to you, this is what the word of God says, this is how you ought to live, right? According to the word. I'm not talking about the gray areas. I'm talking about according to the word. But then you decide like, I know, pastor, I want to do my own thing, but I still want to be a member. Then we'll have to have a conversation around that. Does that make sense? How can two walk together if they're not in agreement? So sometimes some people have asked, like, I've had people who are in um, homosexual relationships, and they'll contact us beforehand, and they'll say, can we come to your church? We just want to come. Can, is, is that fine? And I've said, you know what? You're very welcome to attend, right? Very welcome to be exposed to the word of God, but at a certain point when we're discipling you, we'll show you what the word of God says concerning certain things. And then we'll have to have a conversation. Are you willing to repent of that lifestyle and, and come to a place of wholeness? I've counseled people in these situations, people who are whole today, happily married today. Can, are you willing to do that? And if the person wants to come and wants to be a member but is not willing to do so, then we'll have to say, listen, you know what? This is a group of people who are moving in this direction. you moving in another direction. It's best we part ways. Is everyone following? Okay? Now, some people think, oh, but that's harsh, Paul. Oh, that's harsh. No, we just don't want to pretend to each other. Does that make sense? We don't want to pretend to each other. We want to say, this is the way we are going. When you become a member of a church, you're basically saying, I trust in you guys' leadership. I want you to direct me. The moment you insist and you say... Pastor, can you marry me? It's happened before. Where you have someone who's a believer, and then they insist on getting married to an unbeliever. And I say, you know what? If you're here and you're under our care, and you are specifically telling me that you're insisting on getting married to an unbeliever, the Bible actually says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. I can't in my conscience come and now wed you, but you are insisting. And then... Why do you want to be a member of this church if you disagree with where we are going, especially around the foundational issues? Is everyone following? 
Okay, so I'm just telling you up front, let it be known. If you're a believer in this church and you want me to do your wedding because you know I do cool weddings and stuff, it's true, it happens all the time. You, please, 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 make sure you're doing things properly. Amen. Now, if both the people are unbelievers, I haven't got a problem doing their wedding. They're equally yoked in darkness. Right? And we want to encourage, God loves marriages in general. Right? So that's fine. So I've done, I've done weddings. Um, yeah, I won't even mention some of the people. But I've done weddings for people out there and so on. But if you're in this church, and you want to carry on being in this church, but you're insisting that, you know what, yes, but pastor, uh, do my wedding, uh, even though it's against your conscience, because this guy is not a believer. Now, the way I would typically do it, I'll be gentle. I said, let me have a conversation with the guy. Let's see if we can fast track him in terms of salvation. <laughs> That's the truth. That's the truth. Okay? So, so let's, let's go a little bit deeper. So there has to be repentance. And the second thing is faith. The second thing is faith. In Acts, Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says, But when they believed, Philip... As he preached the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So they had faith. They believed in the gospel. Okay? And that means that someone must be old enough to know what they're doing. All right? Mark 16, verse 16. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. What takes place in water baptism? What's actually taking place? You know why I'm reinforcing this so strongly? We want to start a whole lot of discipleship groups. And those of you who start these groups are going to have to be explaining this to people. And one of our weaknesses as the church today is that there's too long a gap between someone getting saved and someone getting baptized. We've made a whole ceremony out of it, haven't we? All right? So we want to have regular baptisms, regular baptisms. And you don't need to be a pastor to baptize someone. Amen? We see John baptizing Jesus. Who was more senior? Jesus was more senior, right? But John was the one who was baptizing Jesus. Okay? And that was cool. That was fine. So this thing of, oh, you have to be qualified with some theological degree before you baptize someone, that's not biblical, is it? Okay? Now, we like to have a system for baptism. We like to know who's been baptized, and we want to make sure that they're being baptized properly. So that's why we have systems. But if you're out on holiday, and you're a mature enough Christian, you understand this principle, and you've made disciples, you don't have to wait three months until the church is having a discipleship service to get someone baptized. Amen? You can do it yourself, Samuel. You can do it yourself, Lerao. You can do it Whenever people are called Lerato, I like just saying it in a Cockney accent, with a Cockney accent, Lerato. Okay, so you can do it. Amen. All right? When we are baptized, we lose our old master. This is so important. So let me explain what happens in baptism. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1 to 3. They should expect to be identified with the Lord Jesus. Baptism is about identification. Some of you have been believers for some time, but when you're in the workplace, people can't identify you with Jesus. Let's be honest now. 
With many Christians, when they're in the workplace, it takes a long time before people know that the person is a believer. Got a friend who we were at Vasti with back in the day, and um, she's quite a well-known news presenter on, on Supersport. And she became a Christian at a certain point, right? In the early days of this church, she would visit and so on. She became a Christian. And I remember speaking to her one time, and she said, you know what, I'm so upset with, and I don't want to mention, I don't want to give away names and so on, but it's like some well-known presented, with so-and-so. I didn't realize all this time that he was a Christian also. Why didn't he tell me? It was another presenter, okay? And then also so-and-so, why didn't they tell me? When you're a believer, you identify with the Lord Jesus, Amen. And that's one of the things that baptism actually does. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 1 to 3, it says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food. Okay? But this concept of Passing through water is something that's even mentioned in the Old Testament. Okay. Now, God spoke to me some years ago where I was adding certain things to myself. I wanted this particular leader to know that I'm friends with this guy so that this particular leader realizes that Paul is associated with this guy, so Paul is also a spiritual person. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. It was back in about 98. And he said, Paul, when you became a believer, my word says, you bore my name. You bear Christ's name. And he said to me, is my name not enough for you? Why do you need to attach other names to yourself? You know those people, the moment they greet you, they start reeling out their CV and all their accomplishments and all their accolades and so on. That says something about the person, that me and Jesus is not enough. The combo of me and Jesus, Jesus and I, however you want to say it, is not enough. I have to add all these other things to myself. One of the things that happens in baptism is we're saying we take on his name. Ladies, what, happens when, what happened when you got married? Do you know that when it comes to a covenant, a covenant, biblical covenant, one of the things that happens is there's an exchange of names. You take on a name. And that's why in Scripture, whenever God would make a covenant with people, what would he say? You're no longer called Abraham. You're now called Abraham. You're no longer called Sarai. You're now called Sarah. You're no longer called Jacob. You're now called Israel. They had a name change that took place. When you are baptized, that's one of the things that's actually happening. You now identify with Christ. Here's my question. If I were to ask you this question, if I was to ask you this question, make a list of your identity. Top five things. What will actually come up? What's the first thing? Is it the fact that you are South African? Is it the fact that you're male or female? It's the fact that you're a believer. I remember in our master's class, uh, back, back in the day, I remember there were about seven of us in the class, and we sat down, and we had to do that exercise around our identity. And myself and a Christian friend of ours, it was the only, we were the only two people where the top thing we put was our faith, because that was our primary identity. You know what the sad thing is in this country? 
for many people, their primary identity is the color of their skin. Many of you, it's like, you're more conscious of your blackness than you are of Christ in you, the hope of glory. Are you following me? We can all see, for many of you, technically speaking, you're military tan, but you're more conscious of your blackness than you are of Christ in me, the hope of glory. Amen? Be very careful what a nation can do to you. Right now, with all the xenophobia that's been happening, for some of you, you're more conscious of your Zimbabweanness or Nigerianness, Paul Barnabas, <laughs> than you are of Christ in you. Maybe not you guys in this church because you're all sorted, but, you know, other people. <laughs> My question to you is, what's your primary identity? What's your primary identity? Because you see, if I'm trusting in my nationality for breakthrough, then there's a problem. Because many people from my nation aren't getting breakthrough. If you're so proud of... There's nothing wrong with being proud of your heritage. You know, it's, it's, I have to be careful what I say, you know, in this heritage month, all right? But sometimes you can be so proud of your heritage that you trust in that more than you do your identity in Christ. Is everyone following? So let me say to you some things about your identity in Christ. And when you get to see the notes, you'll see that I've put an appendix at the back, right? And I've got a whole list of who we are in Christ. When you meditate on these things, it changes everything, ladies and gentlemen, right? And there are verses that go with this. I am God's child. Whew, what are the implications? I am Christ's friend. I have been justified. I'm united with the Lord and one with him in spirit. Do you know that when you become a Christian, you become one with God? Do you know that a dimension of divinity joins your spirit man and your spirit is regenerated? So you begin to do God kind of things. Amen? Do you know that the Bible tells us that his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness? Where's his divine power? Is it out somewhere far away? No, it's here, right inside of me, right inside of you if you're a born-again believer. That's why one of the most powerful revelations a Christian can have is that Christ is in me, the hope of glory, living in the inside of me, and mastering the art of releasing the glory. Amen? This is the reality of being a believer. I have been bought with a price. I belong to God. I'm a member of Christ's body. I'm a saint. That's, the Bible describes us in Ephesians 1 verse 1. Describes us as saints. I've been adopted as God's child. I have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. I've been redeemed. The word redeemed means to buy back. Right? I've been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I'm justified. What does ju justified mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. Some of you have been living in condemnation. My wife prayed earlier on saying that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some of you are living in condemnation. No. When you go and you obtain mercy, when you ask God for forgiveness, he washes you clean from all your sins. Guys, when we are baptized, that's what's happening. We're identifying with Christ. When we are praying, we are praying in the name of Jesus, as if Jesus himself was praying. 
Just think about that. The same confidence that Jesus had when he would pray to his father, you can have the same confidence. We're starting a new series this coming Sunday. Please, please invite lots of people. The School of Advanced Prayer. I'm so excited about it. Soap. For those who didn't catch, soap. School of Advanced Prayer. Somebody like, Pastor, but soapies. But I'm addicted to soapies and you're encouraging me. No, soap. School of Advanced Prayer. Amen? We're starting that. And I'm going to start with a few messages uh, entitled, Prayer That Gets Results. Explaining why sometimes our prayers aren't answered and what we need to do in order to get them answered. Amen? It's going to be very powerful. Um, so we continue. I am complete in Christ. I have been redeemed and forgiven of all my sins. I am free forever from condemnation. I'm assured that all things work together for good. If I've prayed first, if you look at that context, right? The context there in Romans chapter 8, right? If, you, if you've prayed into certain things, you can be rest assured that those things will work together for good for you who are called according to his purpose. I am free from any condemning charges against me. I cannot be separated from the love of God. I have been established, anointed, and sealed by God. I'm hidden with Christ in God. Oh, isn't that powerful? I am hidden with Christ in God. How can the devil touch me? I mean, it's like... You know, God protects that which he values. Amen? I'm a citizen of heaven. I've not been given a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. I'm born of God, and the evil one cannot touch me. I'm the salt and light of the earth. I'm a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. I've been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. I'm a personal witness of Christ. I am God's temple. The Bible tells us that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that powerful? I can go on and on and on, but that's your identity in Christ Jesus. And when you get baptized, you basically are experiencing that. Isn't that powerful? I think it is. I think it's so powerful. Okay? So we identify with him in his death. Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Romans 6 verse 3. We were baptized into his death. Do you know what that means? My past identity has died. The things I trusted in, my intellect, dead. If you think, Paul, you're not that smart, I don't have to be defensive and say, I'm smart, I'm smarter than you. Look at what I've done. I don't have to do that. I've died. My question to you this morning is, in what area of your life are you not really completely dead? Can we go a little bit deeper? If someone drops down dead, if the proverbial bus bumps you, I don't know why it's always a bus, it's not, it can't be a truck or a car, bumps you and you die out, out there in the car park, okay? Not you, not you, um, just someone, you know, some random person, right? If I go up to that person, that dead corpse, and I kick it, will it respond? I still remember years ago, a group of us tried to raise someone from the dead. 
partly, not because the Lord had told us, partly because, you know, when a relative is just like, no, I really believe, pastors, pastors, I really believe, if you guys come, please, please. Now, I know many people in the world are being raised from the dead, you know, right now. In fact, yesterday, there's a guy I met who was, who was declared clinically dead, by the way, you know, but he was there, he was at the workshop yesterday, okay? So God is in the business of raising the dead, but I haven't yet raised someone from the dead, right? But... Uh, I remember we went to a particular mortuary, and there was this day. <laughs> Where's Mutsa Muzembe? Mutsa, do you remember this? Mutsa is at the Joburg Church, so hopefully he's listening. And we went there, and there was something interesting about this dead corpse. It didn't smile. The louder we got when we were trying to sort of like command it to come back to life, there was no reaction. Dead things don't get hurt. So sometimes when you're sensitive and you get hurt very easily and you're in reaction mode and you're defensive and so on, the question I have for you is what part of you has not yet died? Sometimes it's our ego. Sometimes it's our fear of rejection. Sometimes it's our pride. When we are baptized, we're identifying with Christ in his death. How many of you know that when Jesus was on that cross, he wasn't embarrassed? He had died to self already. He was there, hung, naked for you and me. And he still went through with it. Some of you are too flamboyant for death. Some of you don't like people cramping your style. I know of a particular guy, now a billionaire. And one of the things his wife said was, my husband just, my husband Paul is a proud person. That's his problem. And they went to church. And you know in church when you have to sort of like, uh, some of these big churches where there's, there are railings. And sometimes instead of going all the way around and so on, you can actually go under the railing and just go to your seat. But the, he couldn't do that. I remember there was a time I was lecturing years ago at a particular university and I was lecturing some first-year students. And there I was walking, and there, uh, there was a whole crowd of them, first or second-year students. And I was just walking, and then I stumbled. I tripped a bit. I didn't quite fall. But, but my, whatever my um, rhythm was, my rhythm was affected, ladies and gentlemen. For those of us who walk with a bit of a, you know, Whatever it was, was affected. Whatever it was, it was affected, ladies and gentlemen. And I still remember I stumbled and I felt a sense of shame, like in front of all the students. And the Lord ministered to me. This was back in about 99. And the Lord ministered to me and said, Paul, when you've truly died, when you've truly humbled yourself and you're in a low position, when you stumble, there's no shame because you're already down there. Are you hearing me? I'm talking here about death. What is it in you that's still up there? Today I can stumble and I've got no issue. Other people, they stumble and they're so embarrassed. Amen? We identify with him in his death. Number two, we identify with him in his burial. Romans 6 verse 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have a new life. You will only have a new life when you identify with his 
death and burial. Number three, we identify with him in his resurrection. We've got resurrection life in us when we're born again. Come on, this is gospel. This is good stuff. We have resurrection life in us. Now, if I try to jump over this wall, over this ledge here, outside, into the car park, can I fly? I won't fly. It doesn't matter how much, time, how much I sing that song. I believe I can fly. Or the guy in one of those uh, East African um, idols. I believe I can fly. I believe I can fly. I believe I can... And then the judges said, okay, go, go, go and fry in the kitchen. Okay, go and fry yourself. But the point is, it doesn't matter. Mind over matter, whatever. There's something called the law of... There's the law of gravity. It doesn't matter how spiritual I am, I will fall. But how many of you know that if, when I'm on a plane, do I fly? I fly because I'm, I'm in the plane, right? And what has the plane got? Come on, we've got engineers here in this church. Explain. It has wings, yes. But, but, what? <laughs> but, but it's, got, it's got a jet engine, hasn't it? So the, that propels it. Okay? See, when I say engineers, yeah, is like, yeah, yeah, that one, yeah, this is my... Hey, pastor, give me the mic. Let me explain. All right? So guess what that jet engine does? The law of lift overrides the law of gravity. Inside you and me, ladies and gentlemen, we've got resurrection life. We've got the Zoe. What is the Zoe? It's God's life. Many people say the God kind of life. It's not just the God kind of life. It's actually the life of God in you. That overcomes Mukundi. Remember I explained to you what Mukundi means, right? One who overcomes. That all of us are Mukundis here, by the way, right? That overcomes the law of the spirit of death. Amen? We've got the law of the life in the spirit, the Bible tells us, that overcomes the law of sin and death. When you have that revelation, and all you have to do is believe it, by the way. When you have that revelation, ladies and gentlemen, everything changes. You begin to see healings where you didn't see healings before. You begin to experience breakthrough where you didn't experience breakthrough before. Amen? Where you were a person who was afraid and shy, a spirit of boldness comes upon you. You become like Apostle Peter, who would deny Jesus three times. But after a short time, he's the guy preaching boldly. And 3,000 people are added and experience salvation. Isn't that powerful? You know what the problem is, ladies and gentlemen? There are many people who've said, yes, I believe in Jesus, but it was just mental ascent. They didn't truly die, and they didn't truly embrace resurrection life. So there's no difference in lifestyle between them and unbelievers. Is someone catching something today? Okay. So we identified with Christ, we identified with him in his death, in his burial, and in his resurrection. That's why Colossians 1 verse 12 says, Buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. The next thing that happens when we are water baptized, we should expect a new power of over life dominating sins. New power over life dominating sins. So important. If you struggle with an addiction, for example... I don't think that a dead person can't be addicted. When you're dead, you're not addicted to anything. 
Romans 6, verse 11 to 18. I'm not going to go into all of this, but I encourage you to read it and go deep in your own time. You see, when we're baptized, we lose our old master, that's sin and Satan, and we become servants of righteousness. The Bible says in Romans 6, from verse 11, If we have been united with him, like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. You can only be united with him in resurrection if you've been united with him in his death. For we know that our old self was crucified. So if you're still reacting and doing all sorts of things, being defensive, then we have to put a question mark there and say, do you not know that your old self was crucified? When the people went and they were prodding Jesus, trying to see if he's truly dead or not, was he reacting? Was he like, come on, guys, that's tickling my feet? No, because he was dead. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. Right? That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. When you're a slave of something, it means you have to obey it, right? So you have an evil desire, a lustful desire. And then what are you like? I can't help it. I can't help it. And that's why we speak to people and we say, what happened? Why did you do that? I couldn't help it, pastor. You see that donut. I, I, I know that I'm watching my figure, but I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. You had to obey the desire because you're a slave. Amen. Now, here's the trick. It's not about mind over matter. I'm going to say no to the donut. I'm going to say no to the donut. It's about saying yes to something else. You get delivered from being a slave to sin when you become a slave of righteousness. Let's go deeper into this. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead... He cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once, once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin. Whatever that thing is that you struggle with, that life-dominating sin, count yourself dead to it. There are some people who get saved and truly saved, and you hear them just saying, my appetite, just, just, my appetite for that horrible thing I was addicted to, something just lifted. Why? You died. Amen? You're a new person. You're a new creation. And that's why we need to not cheat people when it comes to the discipleship process. We want true disciples. Amen? In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Who lets sin reign? It's us. You can't say, that the devil made me do it. Right? Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. What are your body parts? Just think of all your body parts. Okay? Do not offer them to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those 
who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. This is what happens, ladies and gentlemen, when we are baptized. Isn't it powerful? See, they should expect a spiritual cleansing and renewal. A spiritual cleansing and renewal. Acts chapter 22, verse 16, it says, And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. You see, many of you, you've lived a life of sin, you got born again, but you still have a guilty conscience. How many of you know that Jesus wants to wash us clean, even of a guilty conscience? Because you see, when you live at, from a place of guilt, what do guilty people do? Guilt attracts punishment. Have you noticed that? If you feel guilty about something you've done, everyone around you is a persecutor. You'll be like, oh, I know, I could see the way they were looking at me. Oh, yeah, Pastor, I can see you're you, you upset with me. It happens in church settings. I'm thinking, upset with you? I haven't, I, to be honest with you, I haven't even thought of you in the last week. Ah, Pastor, I know I, you, you, you're so upset with me, and it's messed up your whole week. I, to be honest with you, I mean, I, I, I'm trying to be a good pastor, but I don't think I've thought of you in the last three weeks. <laughs> you end up with what we call, the, in psychology, it's called the persecutory superego. You know the persecutory superego? It's actually very self-centered. It's that mindset where you think everyone is against you. You walk into a church like this and you feel like all eyes are on you. Meanwhile, Loazi is just getting on with his stuff as usual. All right? I'm getting on with my stuff. My wife is getting on with her stuff. But you're like, oh, yeah, I feel so condemned. Yeah. Then you leave the church because you're like, hey, those people, they judge. They just judge you. What did they say? Ah, oh, no, they judge, Pastor. They judge. Did they do anything to you? I just know the way they looked at me. There's a cleansing that we experience, a cleansing from a guilty conscience. D, they should expect an identification with the name of the Lord. In Acts 8 verse 16, it says, Because the Holy Spirit had not come upon any of them, they had simply been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Okay? Acts 10 verse 48. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Acts 19 verse 5 says, On hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. We identify with him. I like the way Kenyon puts it. Baptism in this sense is equivalent to marriage. When the wife puts on marriage, she takes her husband's name and enters into her husband's possessions and has legal right to her husband's home. When the believer is baptized into the name of Jesus Christ, he puts on all that is in Christ. Ooh. Oh, this is so powerful. He not only puts on the name, but takes his legal rights and his privileges in Christ. Now, E.W. Kenyon is big on this. He talks about the new creation re realities, right? Because you are now one with Christ, you take on his name. So you now have that power of attorney to use his name. Amen? And that's why when we pray for people, we pray in the name of Jesus. E. They should expect to experience a spiritual circumcision of the heart. And this is so powerful. In Colossians 2, 11 to 12, it says, And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands 
in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now that seems a deep passage, but it's basically taking that Hebrew practice of circumcision where men would have their foreskin cut. You remember that? Right? They would have their foreskin cut on the eighth day. And that was symbolic of the fact that they are now a child of God in terms of the Israelites. Now, when you look at this passage that I've just read to you, it speaks of baptism as a spiritual circumcision. Is everyone following? A spiritual circumcision. So, what we see happening with circumcision, there's a cutting away of the flesh. In baptism, we put off the old man. We say the old man is gone and the new man has come. There's a cutting away, right? The next is there's shedding of blood. How many of you know that when circumcision happens, there's blood that is shed, right? I'm not going to go into the details of that. It's not the purpose of my message, but I'm, I'm assuming everyone understands. Unless, unless you're from a family where it's just girls and, okay, let me not go there. But anyway, <laughs> all right. But there's the shedding of blood that takes place. And in baptism, a death to self is to take place. Bap uh, the, the circumcisions will take place on the eighth day. On the eighth day. Eight, in terms of biblical numerology, numerology, eight is the number of new beginnings. So, natural circumcision took place on the eighth day, and it's symbolic of new beginnings, resurrection life, and in the same way in baptism, we experience new beginning and newness of life. Isn't that powerful? Okay? And then, a new name is also given. Often you would find that the child would be named at that particular point, right? And in the same way, in baptism, we've got a new name invoked over us. Okay? So, How should we be baptized? How should we be baptized? Baptism requires the candidate to go down into water. In Acts chapter 8 verse 38, it says, So he commanded the chariot to stand still. Remember he was talking to, Philip was talking to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he shares the gospel with him. Right? And the eunuch basically says, There's some water there. Why should we delay Please, I want to get baptized. Okay? It says, so he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and he baptized him. Acts 8, verse 38. Okay? In Matthew 3, 16, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately out of the water. So he wasn't just sprinkled, he was immersed. Amen? B, Baptism is to be administered in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've shared with you so many scriptures about that. And here's a statement that you can actually use. So when we baptize, when you next baptize someone, right, you might say something like this. I like to do this when I'm baptizing someone. I ask them, say, why should I be baptizing you? And they basically share their testimony briefly. They say, because, and then they proclaim Christ, right? And they share why they believe they need to be baptized. And then this is a powerful phrase to then use. Upon the confession of your faith 
in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I baptize you. We dunk you in and we dunk you out. There's also the technicality of how we hold you. If you're a guy and women and a woman is being baptized, obviously please dress appropriately. Don't wear see-through stuff because you know what happens when you're in water, all right? So we want to say to people, you know, just dress appropriately. And then um, there's a way we lift you out of the water. There was a way we say, you know, put your hands like this so we can use your arms, basically, to lift you up. And then we also hold you on your back. Please be very careful if you're a guy and you're baptizing females, right? Be careful how you hold them. There was a guy in a church we used to be a part of, and you know when people are being slain in the spirit and so on, and something we had to address, because he would be like this, and the ladies would be, you know, you know what I'm trying to do, the ladies would be standing like this and falling, and the guy would be catching the ladies, <laughs> and going wherever he could grip firmly to hold them down like this and so on. So we had to obviously correct that, all right? So please, 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 let's just be careful and let's do everything in a respectful manner. And sometimes if you need a second person helping you because um, they're different levels in terms of, um, how can I put this? Kilos, okay? <laughs> so depending on how much you can bench press, um, yeah. And sometimes a lot of guys tend to overestimate their abilities. So if it's a guy like Jimmy, I'll... I'll, I'll <laughs> if it's a, our CrossFit Jimmy here, then I can say, fine, yes, uh, yes, you can actually uh, baptize this lady here, or you can at least come and assist us, and so on, right? But with some guys, we might need two people. Does that make sense? Just so it's a bit easier. All right? Is everyone fine with that? Okay. Finally, what's the responsibility of the person who's been baptized? Your, it's your responsibility to break away from your old way of life. Very important. Okay? Secondly, there's a new standard of living. And it's important to read the word of God and say, okay, is this the standard? Is this according to the word of God? I want to live like a Christian. Okay? And then thirdly, be a disciple of Jesus. What is a disciple? A disciplined follower of Christ. The word disciple means to sit under teaching. So you're not just saying, I want to receive Christ. You're basically saying, I want to learn about his ways and be taught his ways. Amen? So my question to you, have you been baptized in water yet? This is something that everyone should reflect upon. Ask yourself, if there have been hindrances to this, what are those particular hindrances? If there are benefits, and I've mentioned the benefits, what are those particular benefits? Amen? Okay. If you fall into the categories that I mentioned at the start, and you feel like, you know what, Pastor, I need to be baptized. I was just sprinkled when I was young, but I now have understanding. Right? Or, I'm not yet saved, I want to give my heart to the Lord Jesus, okay, and be baptized. Right? Come to me afterwards, and over here, I've got some pieces of paper, and just write out your details, and we will contact you in the next week or so, and we will inform you about when the baptism is going to be taking place.
Amen? Is that okay? Okay, let's bow our heads in prayer, please. Hey, e-family, online family, that was a great message, wasn't it? We really want to fill the globe with all this teaching. Our passion is to raise leaders and release reformers. So if you want to tap into more of these teachings, you can go to www.gochurch.co.za. And I think you'll really be refreshed and reformed as you go through our materials. Well, if you enjoyed that message, click subscribe and also share with your friends, with your enemies. Don't forget... We've got the live feed that takes place 9.30 every Sunday morning.